where there is roadblocks in the way of our heart, God, roadblocks in the way of our relationship with you, God. Lord, that we would tear them down. And God, that we would remember we have a foundation built on you. And when we base our life off of you and that foundation, God, those roadblocks mean nothing. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that your grace, that your mercy is sufficient. Right now, Lord God, I just pray that you would just make our hearts soft. Soft to your will, soft to your heart, soft to your word, God. God, would you be glorified in this place right now? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Awesome. Can we give the worship team a hand? My gosh. I love a good worship time where you almost cry. Um, Best type of worship when you get teary. Wow, it is so good to see this place packed out and to see some bright, smiley faces. If you're not smiling, I'm looking around. I want to see some smiles. Like you're in the house of God this morning. There's no better place to be. And on such a beautiful day, I mean, we could be at the beach, but isn't this place better than the beach? Amen. Come on. That's good. Hey, we're going to get into the, into the Word of God today, and I'm going to be preaching. But um, if, if you don't know me, my name's Tim, and I have the privilege of serving on this awesome team. And this morning, I get to bring the message, and I'm excited because I haven't brought a message in a few weeks. I brought the first one to youth, and God has blessed the youth ministry so much right now that um, I haven't had the opportunity to preach because I've got young people and youth leaders coming out of my ears asking for the opportunity to preach. Like, how good's that? So I get to preach today, which I'm excited about. But, you know, it's been a while since I've preached at church, so I'm used to the youth. So if you guys could help me feel a little bit more at home, like if you can be loud and like encouraging, but like, yeah, throw stuff at me. If, you ha- if you've got the lettuces and the tomatoes, I want to see them pitching. Keep, keep me active. Love you too, Tom. But hey, Let's get loud and encouraging because, I mean, we go to the football games and we give all the chance to God. I mean, we give all the chance to the football team, don't we? So how much more worthy is our God? Come on. So today we're going to be preaching from Mark along the series of According to Mark. And we're going to be going from First Mark 35 to 39. But we're not going to get to that straight away because you need context for everything. I mean, if I get asked to do something, I prefer to have context. I had a conversation with Nikki just the other day, and um, she told me that unless you give her boys context, you often get a little bit of trouble trying to ask them to do something, and Luke's, Luke, Luke knows what I mean. But I want to start with something small and build to something big, if that's okay. Because we, we all know that saying, big things come in small packages. And the other week, I was sitting on my friend's couch, and it was a Wednesday, I'd, I wasn't working, uni hadn't started yet, so I was hanging out with a friend, spending a bit of time, just doing a bit of life with him. And I'm sitting on this couch when my phone dings, and I, I look down to see this message. And I didn't quite read it right, so my mind was doing flips, but I got a message from Nikki that said, did someone die in your office? And like, I'm really concerned at this point because like, is there a bloody finger on the floor or like, is there a dead body? Have the police come? Like, I, I didn't quite read it. Now, I went back after my mind did, did flips and I, I read it again. It's like, did something die in your office? And I mean, that's not much better. What happens if there's a dead dog or something? So I, I'm doing flips. But as the story goes, Joe Medling walked into the storeroom that's right next to my office and got smacked in the face with 
this horrid stench. And Nikki and, yeah, Dave and Joe, you guys can testify. It was like, oh, yeah. It almost made you want to be Voldemort and cut your nose off. Um, but there was this terrible stench. So they closed close the storeroom. They're going to deal with it later. And it's not until later that Nikki walks into my office to put something on my desk to put the run sheets for um, Sunday that uh, she realizes it was actually in my office because she got smacked even harder in the face with this stench. So I get this message on Wednesday and I, I, I deal with it on Friday. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to deal with it on Friday. <laughs> but by the time I get in there on Friday, the auditorium is starting to smell like something died. Like it's, it's really bad. And I walk into my office. The smell has not subsided. And so me and the lovely interns tear my office upside down. Like we, we lifted the filing cabinet up, looked in all the drawers. We looked behind the desk, under the desk. I looked in the air conditioning, went outside to the air conditioning unit thinking something had died and was blowing in. Nothing. Went up to the vents, smelled all of the vents around my office. Nothing. So you know what? I thought... Let's close this, I'll leave it for Tuesday. So come back in on Tuesday after leaving the windows open, thinking the flies would devour whatever it is, and it still stinks. Like, the flies couldn't even get to whatever it was. So I tear the office apart once more, and just before we go into the staff meeting, I find what it was and why the flies couldn't make the smell subside. And it turns out the tiniest little gecko, like I'm talking gecko, had made this smell, had climbed behind my whiteboard and died with its tail just sticking out. So it was permeating from behind my whiteboard and that's why the flies couldn't get to it. And it was a gecko. But I mean, it's testament to that saying, big things come in small packages. Big smells come in small packages. Are there any new parents in the room? You guys can testify to the babies. Like, my gosh, they are little people, but they can clear out a room. But big things come in small packages. And Young men who are looking to propose, big things come in small packages. Big price tags also come with those small packages. Warning, just a word of warning, but you know, start saving. Amen. Fiscal responsibility is good. But that's the same thing that I find of Jesus. This small frame of a man, after he died, left such an impact that's permeated throughout the whole of society, that's given hope to the nations, that's led to a global following from just such a small character, yet also the biggest and most important character that ever lived. Whilst he was on earth, he was just as effective in his ministry because, I mean, he fed the 5,000. He changed lives. He did healing wherever he went. He taught with authority. And oftentimes, such small little acts of ministry that he started with turned into these massive followings that he could barely get away from. Have any of you ever had to get in a rowboat and just row out into a lake because people wouldn't leave you alone? I mean, sometimes it might be a good option, but I don't think any of us have ever had to get away from people that much. Like, we, we couldn't breathe that we had to get in a rowboat and go out into the middle of a lake. Jesus had to seek solitary places all the time to spend time with the Father because what he started grew to be so darn massive. And you know, I think that comes to light. It's the perfect example in Mark 1 verse 35 to 39. And we're going to go through that. It's going to be up on the screen so you can follow along if you want or if you've got your Bible, open up to Mark 1 verse 35 to 39. But it says, very early in the morning, while it was dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, 
everyone is looking for you. Now, we'll come back to that everyone is looking for you because that there is such an important part of this verse. But Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Now, if we're meant to be Christ followers and we're meant to do life the way Jesus did, if we're meant to live life like Jesus, if we're meant to live by his teachings, then I think this is one of the most important verses for teaching us how to be like Jesus. Because in the end, that's what we should be modeling. He's our role model. That's what we should be modeling life off of. But I find three takeaways from this verse, which I'd like to take you through. Now, the second part of the verse, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. That's important. But for me, I'd love to focus on the first part and where Jesus prayed. And there's three components of that. The timing of his prayer, the positioning of his prayer, and the content of his prayer. So we're going to go through that. We're going to start with timing. But you know, I'm going to pray first that God's just going to anoint these words because I believe there are people in here that need some challenging today and that need just a bit of a heart shift. So we're going to pray, then we're going to get straight into it. Is that all good? Awesome. Lord God, I just pray that right now you would start to open our hearts up. And Lord God, that you would just deliver a message through me, Lord, that would just be so perfect for this time in these people's lives. Lord God, we give you honor. We give you praise. Lord good, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. So if you were here two weeks ago, you would have heard Doug's message. And Doug's message, he covered just before where I'm starting off now. And so Doug was talking about when Jesus brought teaching into the synagogue with authority. Does anybody remember that? Yeah, so he brought this authoritative teaching, which people were baffled at. He drove out a demon. He then went and healed a mother-in-law. And then he went on to, to continue teaching after sunset. So if we think about a day in the life of a pastor, my gosh, he had a big day. He preached and teached in the morning. He did healing on his lunch break, and then he went once the sun set to his 5 p.m. service and started healing. So it was a big day. Can I please have that aircon just down a little bit? Actually, you guys might not know where it is. Ryan, could you aircon down? Thank you. Awesome. Otherwise, I'm going to be preaching whilst the page is running away. But Jesus had a big, long day, preached in the morning, healed, and then it doesn't just say that he healed a few people. It says the whole town, the whole countryside brought their demon-possessed and their ill to see Jesus for healing once the sun had already set. So if you can imagine a whole town and a whole countryside worth of people, they're going to have a lot of people to heal. So Jesus, safe to say, is probably going to be healing for quite a while, probably going to be changing people's lives for a while into the night. I mean, obviously Jesus has all power. He could have healed like that. But we notice from Jesus when he heals... He also heals personally with lots of people. So Jesus would have been a tired man by the end of this. Yet the important thing in this verse here, straight after he's just done this healing at night, is very early in the morning. Now other translations are going to say, before the sun was up. And if you, if you go back and do a bit of analysis, it's likely Jesus was up at about 3 or 4 a.m. after he had just been healing late into the night. So before his disciples were up, before the sun was up. Jesus was, Jesus was out spending time with the Father. And you see, that's where timing comes in. And timing is so important because Jesus spent time purposefully. See, time needs to be dedicated to prayer. Jesus didn't just tack prayer into his day whenever he could between things. 
Jesus started his day with prayer. Jesus came to the Father and said, you know what? This is going to be a big day, so I need to spend more time than I can allow in prayer with you. Time needs to be dedicated to prayer. How often do we spend time watching our favorite TV show at night? How often, this is a good challenge, how often do you prioritize time to go to work? How often do you prioritize time to eat around the table or to go to the gym, to watch Netflix or to participate in your hobbies? Yet how easy is it for us to tack prayer into our day? When we're driving to work, I'll just, I'll pray then because it's a time where, it's a space where I can pray. Jesus didn't just tack prayer into his day. He didn't just find available time. Jesus made the time for prayer. It is good. Come on, we need to be making time for prayer in our life. I mean, I, I picture it like this, right? It's a bit like a child eating their vegetables. If you're a young parent and you have young kids, then you'll know that if you're giving your kid broccoli and Brussels sprouts and beans, which are healthy for them, which sustain them, which are good for them, they get full like that. But you'll notice they have a magical second stomach as soon as you mention the word ice cream. And they can eat as much as they want. See, we're like that with prayer. When it comes to prayer, it's too easy to tuck it in and do a little bit because that's just enough and then we're full. But when it comes to watching Netflix, we can just do a whole series in a few hours because it's something that's fleeting. It's a sugar high of life that fills your time. Are you prioritizing time with the Father? Are you prioritizing time to be filled? Because, you know, to be effective in ministry, in evangelism, in growing the kingdom of God, to be effective in life in general, it requires filling. It requires energy, and that comes from spending time with the Father. See, we, we can't obtain that with fleeting time with God. Paul says it perfect in Colossians 4, verse 2 to 3. It says, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. When you hear the word devote, does that conjure up feelings of do a little bit? Or if you devote yourself to gardening for the day, you're going to spend the day gardening. If you devote yourself to fixing your car, you are going to fix your car. If you devote yourself to your work, you are going to spend lots of time doing your work. When we devote ourselves to prayer, spend the time that God deserves but spend more way more because he deserves everything so devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart pray for us too that god will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning christ it's important there that the opportunities to speak about god and to bring the gospel first come from a devoted prayer life if you haven't devoted time to prayer, then you'll find it harder to get those mysterious opportunities because you're not in tune with the Father. So first off, time. You need to be positioning yourself and prioritizing and purposefully spending time with the Father. But the second thing that I find interesting about the way that Jesus prays, because he starts early and prioritizes his time, is his positioning of his prayer. Now, where did it say that Jesus prayed when he prayed in this verse? in solitary, by himself, away from others, not with distractions. And plain as day in Matthew 6, it says, don't be like the hypocrites. 
who pray on the street corners. Don't be like the loudmouths that are in the synagogues. Don't pray with fruitless words. Just spend time with the Father alone. You know, I think it's more than that that Jesus goes and prays in solitary places because I can go into my bedroom and I can close my doors away from everybody else and I can still spend all of two seconds with the Father. I can spend all of two seconds in his presence because I can start planning my day or I can start thinking about something else. The main point of Jesus going away to a place of solitary, I believe, is distraction. Is removing distraction from his time with his father. The point is distraction. Put it like this. You go to the mechanic and you have a leak, an oil leak in your car, which needs to be fixed. Could you pop the aircon down, please? It's still up. It's the baptistry one. Okay, well, we'll just deal with it. There we go. If you go to the mechanic with an oil leak in your car, but he changes your brake pads, fits new tires, buffs the car, and gives you a musical horn that does the Dukes of Hazard theme song. Although these things are all well and good, he got distracted and missed the main point. He got distracted and missed that you needed that oil leak fixed. See, distraction killed your car, but distraction is the silent killer of your in-tuneness with God. It also is the loud killer of your in-tuneness with God. If you're spending time with the Father and you said, oh, I spent three hours today with God. It's like, well, did you really spend three hours today with God or did you spend five minutes and the rest of it you just kind of sat there thinking about things with your hands in the air? To be in tune with God, first you need to spend time attentively in his presence. Attentively. So first, you need to spend the time. You need to prioritize that time. And I, got the, I have the awesome opportunity to do life with a great friend of mine who said to me, you know what, when you spend time with the Father, spend five minutes more than you can allow, ten minutes more, half an hour more, just to tell the devil, you know what, there aren't restrictions on my relationship with my God. You won't be putting restrictions on it today, that he is worth my time, that he is worth more than I can allow because I have things to do with my day. Spend more than you can allow. And the next Spend it without distraction. If we're spending time in the presence of God, but we have distraction, you're not hearing from God. The last point, point one, timing, point two, position, but point three is content. Now, I need to set a little bit of context. And I said at the start, everyone is looking for you. That that is a very important part of this verse. So I'm, I'm going I'm to lay a bit of foundation for this, and then we're going to actually tackle that because that has some really important punctuation in it. See, Jesus' reaction to the disciples wanting him to come and preach is really weird. It's strange by human standards because he not only had a church that was on fire for him, he not only had a town that was on fire for him, he had a countryside that was on fire for him. People were seeking him at like 6 a.m. in the morning just as the sun was rising up. Like, put it like this. Jesus had started a tiny little act of healing that had turned into a massive ministry and that ministry wasn't church-sized or town-sized it was country-wide countryside-wide he was basically the keynote speaker at Hillsong Conference or Planet Shakers Conference and when it says everyone is looking for you 
The important thing to remember is there is a punctuation mark at the end, and that's an exclamation mark. So it wasn't, like I said before, everyone is looking for you. It's Jesus, everyone is looking for you. My gosh, we've gone three songs over time. The worship leader is just diddly-daddling around. He's just singing, oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We have gone over time. We need you up there now. This crowd is going crazy. Like, we need healing right now. These people are on fire for you, Jesus. Everyone's looking for you. Come and preach. But Jesus turns around immediately and says, you know what? It's time to go. It's time to go. See, if we've learned anything from this series so far, it's that Mark is trying to highlight what it would look like if Jesus is king. If Jesus is king in a situation. See, Mark 1, verse 15 up on the screens just here the important thing in that is the kingdom of god is near repent and believe the good news and see if the kingdom of god is here and the good news is that jesus is king and it's saying believe the good news believe that jesus is king believe that jesus has brought hope believe that jesus has conquered the grave the town of capernaum in this story i think is a great example of where Jesus has come and Jesus is king in a place. These people are on fire. Like They want more preaching. They want more of what Jesus has to offer. They want more healing. And they're there and they just, they want to be a part of this ministry. Yet Jesus says, you know what, it's time to go. And if I was the disciples, I would be baffled at this stage because they were basically rock stars at this stage. Everybody wanted to be around them. Like Jesus was king in Capernaum, yet it's time to go. That's because there is such a bigger picture at hand here. And the important thing is the kingdom of God needs to break out everywhere. See, Jesus Jesus could have stayed in Capernaum, trained up disciples for a few weeks or months. He could have trained up believers and sent them out. And said, you know, I'm going to train you and then you're going to go out and do this for me. And we're going to go out from here. Much like a church, we come in, we get trained and then we're to go out. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. We're going now. Well, the, the thing that, that hits me really home, as a human, we, we often lack what we're about to talk about. But, you know, Jesus comes from this Planet Shakers conference where he's the keynote speaker. And then the very next place that you find Jesus is a leper's colony. That he's dropped all the fame, he's dropped all this amazing big ministry that he's created, and he said, you know what? We're going to a leper's colony. And if that's not significant to you, then I'll explain. A leper's colony is a place you don't go. It's where the untouchables, the unclean, the unworthy, those that are sick, if you go there, you are going to get leprosy and you will be cast out. So you don't go there. So for the disciples, this would have been hard But Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Time for us to go. We're out of here. See, there's a bigger picture. And see, I I still haven't even got to the content of Jesus' prayer. This is still the context. See, I believe the content of what Jesus was praying that morning was actually he was asking for humility. Asking that he would be humbled. Because he had every single right within this situation 
to be happy about the success of this ministry and the growth. This ministry could have impacted tons that he ju- that he just created overnight. He had every right to be proud. But you know what? Jesus, I believe, came before the Father and said, you know what? I need a bit of humbling. It's time to move on. We're leaving the Planet Shakers Conference and we are going to go to the Lepers Colony. And to do that, to be called where you don't want to go, to be called from greatness, from big things, from success into hard times, that takes a lot of humility to accept that and just go. And I want to challenge you. Right now, we're going to spend just a moment before the band gets up. I'm going to ask you a simple question. And it's a question I don't want you to get offended at or jump up and down. Be like, oh, how dare you ask that? But are you a Sunday Christian? Or are you a Christian all the days of the week? And just take a moment to reflect on that. Are you a Sunday Christian? Or are you being Christ-like all the days of the week. Because when Jesus is king in a place, like he's king in this place, when the kingdom of God is breaking out, Jesus just showed us it's time to go, that we're going to need humility. We're going to need time with the Father to prepare without distraction. We're going to need to pray for humility because when a place is successful and the kingdom of God has broken out, through prayer and relationship, God is going to tell you, Jesus is going to tell you, it is time to go where you don't want to go. And are you okay to accept that? See, the question is, is Jesus king in your workplace? If not, is that your plan? Are you making him king in your workplace? Or is your workplace separated from your Christ life? Is Jesus king within your family members and your extended family? If he's not, are you going to be humble? And you're going to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Because Jesus doesn't leave anybody behind. Is Jesus king at your sporting group? If not, what are you doing to make him king? It didn't say make Jesus king in some places. It said make Jesus king everywhere. May the kingdom of God break out all over the world. But that requires us to be humbled and say, you know what? I'm going to go from this place where it's so easy to spend time in the presence of God and I'm going to go out and take the presence of God with me into the week. Are you a Sunday Christian or are you making Jesus King everywhere? If in your head you answer that and you're like, you know what, to be honest, I probably am a bit of a Sunday Christian. Then there's such a simple solution to that. We're going to come into a time of worship right now. And I'll encourage you, ask the Father for forgiveness. Worship Him. But the simple solution is spend time. Prioritize time in the Word of God. Prioritize time with the Father in prayer, without distraction. Ask for humility to go from the high places and your success. We get so caught up on success and failure, on ministry, We get so caught up on our life that it's so easy to forget there is a world out there that needs Jesus' love, that needs Jesus' peace. So what are we doing to bring that peace into the world? Do you need a bit of humility in your life to say, you know what, I'm sorry. I've been too focused on these other things. I've been too proud. 
it's time for me to actually go Jesus, make Jesus king where I work. And that's my challenge to you today. If you're just being a Sunday Christian, this is the least important part of your week. There are six other days in the week where Jesus needs to be king, not just on Sunday. So come on, as we come into this time of worship, if Jesus hasn't been king, if you haven't been humble, if your prayer life hasn't been what it should be, this is the time to turn around, to ask forgiveness, to make that step that you would prioritize time with the Father, that you be attentive to His will. And that for goodness sake, that we'd be humbled. Come on, I'm going to pray and we're going to come back into a time of worship right now. And if God's been challenging you, respond to that. If you'd also like prayer, to talk to anybody about it please approach staff or people with the tag we are more than happy to pray for you but right now I'm going to just pray then we're going to stand and worship so if you close your eyes bow your heads look God you are good your mercy never ends your grace is sufficient Lord God we thank you so much that no matter what we do you still love us and Lord God I pray that if you haven't been king Lord, if we haven't been humble, Lord, if we haven't been communicating with you, Lord God, that we would just switch that around, that we would turn that around right now. Lord God, we give you the honor. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. You are so good. Pray these things in your mighty, 